Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Pants Party. It's Harrison Starr. It's Ben Ross. How's it going, man? It's good. What, what is that? <laughs> in, that was like short intro. wasn't expecting it. A little less emphatic than usual. I don't know. You're right. I didn't give you the full the full treatment, Harmon. Harmon Chillabrew, uh, Renboss23 on Twitter. Uh, I can be found at HD underscore star. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of want to get into it. I sent you the link about the guy who eats a rotisserie chicken uh, once a day uh, for 40 <laughs> straight days. And you're like, I've been tracking this story. So like, I, I didn't do any research other than that tweet I sent you because I wanted to get right into that. And then we'll uh, talk about my experience at Purdue the Iowa game, um, et cetera. So I'm just ready to get going, I guess. Wait, so you want to talk about rotisserie chicken guy or? Yeah, so like what is the Cliff Notes? This feels like a very online story. Uh, Cliff Notes is basically about a week ago, somebody posted, it's like nobody will understand the endearing strangeness of Philadelphians and it had a picture of, this guy, uh, it was a, like a wanted poster uh, on a lamp, a light post in Philadelphia, I assume. And it said, come November, whatever day Sunday was, November 5th or something, or 6th, will be the 40th consecutive day I eat a rotisserie chicken. The chicken will be consumed at the abandoned pier behind Walmart. This is not a party. <laughs> and people showed up. Uh, I think like some counts, 500 or a thousand people were there and, uh, turned out the guy was just a waiter in Philadelphia and wanted to spread some joy through chicken. So he was eating a rotisserie chicken every day in one sitting. Am I understanding this correctly? The, yeah, the New York times article said that's all he ate every day for 40 days. And he said after like 20 days, he's feeling very sick from all the sodium. Um, <laughs> and not coincidentally, I did not know you're going to ask me about this. And I could keep this private, but I'm not going to. Guess what I had for dinner last night? A roto chicken. I had a roto chicken, made a trip to Costco. And those, I mean, I'm sure those are better than any. What's the, is it Wawa in Philadelphia? Oh. Any Wawa yeah. rotisserie chicken there is. And they're the also Costco cheaper, ones, I'm sure, too. The same ones are also just huge. And those are the only ones that we'll get are the ones from Sam's Club. And my go-to mm-hmm. move is to eat a drumstick and both wings right when we get back home after buying them. Yes, that is my... I eat the drumstick and both wings, and then <laughs> I tear the chicken apart with my bare hands and then I cut up all the meat, mix dark and white meat together, and then I just use it in salads for the rest of the week. 
that's really the way to do it. I don't, I, I don't know how we we would grown up. We would eat them for dinner, like and we'd have them all the time. Like I can't remember how we ate them for dinner. I think we just cut them up and ate them. And my dad would prematurely eat some chicken, and mom would get mad. Hey, we got to make sure that it all gets to the dinner table. But yeah, I'm like you now. I'll just use it in. You know, salads covered in buffalo sauce, things like that. Like, don't just sit down and exactly what I do. Yeah, yeah, it's it's delicious. They really are good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I think I could. I guess my frame of reference is honestly, I that could eat a whole one in an entire sitting. Yeah, I couldn't eat it even in a at whole my sitting. like absolute even at my absolute hungriest. Like, I get three to four meals out of a whole one. Cause that's what I was thinking. I was like, if I could eat one a day spread across the day. And like the question I pose to you is like, when do you buy the chicken? So it's freshest. I think you buy it for dinner, have it warm and then cold chicken for breakfast and lunch. But I don't think I, I couldn't do, um, unless we're talking tiny chickens, like borderline Cornish game hens. And, and those are, those are not big at all, but the maybe the wobble ones are a little lacking in size. That would make sense. Perhaps. Okay. Okay. Well, how was your weekend, Ben? Let's uh, that, that was... <laughs> walk me through. Uh, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care about your weekend. Yeah, I want your boots on the ground. Yeah. In okay. One of the one of the Lafayettes. Yeah. Both of the Lafayettes, actually. Um, yeah, so like, uh, it was, it was honestly less windy than I expected during the game. And this isn't like this is isn't really what we talked That's about. That's all really they talked about. Just because I was That's gearing cool. up for it to be just so 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 windy, and maybe I just got used to it at a point. But like, it was windy, but not like whoa windy until maybe the fourth quarter when like the gusts really were getting up to like 40 and because of the way it was swirling around the bowl there's like trash flying through the stands it was it was chaos yeah in that respect but um before we get to the actual game the actual west lafayette stuff it it is so weird like because that was the first time i had been at purdue and i i did the math since 2014 january 2014 so like over eight years it has been since i went to my alma mater and like my main takeaway is like youth is wasted on the young (laughs) like (laughs) it's just i don't know if it's something that i'm like a reckoning I'm finally realizing, but it's just so insane that we send 18-year-olds off to college. Like, that was my main, like, macro takeaway because I was just thinking, man, what I've, how much differently would I have done college if, you know, I had two or three years after high school to just let it settle? Probably a little differently. But that was, that was my main takeaway, just being back. Um, the second well, one, give us, like, oh, sure. in, give us some context or example anecdotes. I, I don't even know. Like it's it just, it just the way I felt it, it was just like, 
these kids are so young, they don't know anything. But I remember being them, thinking I know everything because I'm off at college. And I just think, I don't know why it took me until, you know, eight years later to finally realize it. But I think it's finally like that gap because the kids definitely feel younger than they ever have. Just the way that works. Um, but I don't know. It just feels like it also comes back to Purdue being what Pac-12 uh, detractors call many of their college towns. It's a truck stop. There are uh, now three bars on campus. Um, a fourth that is a long walk away uh, that we would go on Thursday nights and went on this Thursday night that closed and then reopened. So, um, shout out Neon Cactus. That was fun. Uh, it was Christina's f- favorite place that they went, or we went. How many how many bars were on campus when you went there? There was a fourth bar that is no longer around. Um, My goodness, I didn't realize Yeah, it was that destitute. It is, it's lacking as a college town, but it is fun. You know, it has a brother, a brother's, it has Harry's Chocolate Shop, and that was, that was a blast. Went on, uh, I guess it was Friday during the day and, and Friday later at night. Um, got my Baltimore Zoo, man. Uh, got my Colorado Root Beer, which is a drink I can never drink again. It's got... Like a layer. So you got a of, drink named after Baltimore and a drink named after Colorado, and you're in Indiana. Okay, yeah, got it. yeah, it, exactly. It sounds like I should open a bar there and call. Yeah, it yeah, Minnesota Benz, a Minnesota-based drink. Um, the thing about the Colorado root beer is like it's naturally a very sweet drink because it's got like the root beer schnapps and a licorice flavor, uh, and then you know the vodka. But the cream, I do not remember the cream sitting in my stomach as weirdly as it sits at 32 years old. <laughs> like, I had to, I, I got down to like maybe half of it and I had to finish it because if I had nursed it the rest of the way, like my stomach would have just felt worse longer because it had already started hurting. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to finish this, put this all in my stomach so then it can hurt for less amount of time. And maybe maybe that's the reason that we send kids off to college at 18 years old so that they can handle drinks with like a quarter cup of heavy cream in them. Maybe that's why, because <laughs> I just can't get over it. I can't get over it. So um, fun, fun, fun time in West Lafayette, the, the truck stop. But anyways, getting to the game. I do have to say uh, the overall experience was pretty good. The The thing that cracked me up more than anything was the third down horn, the train whistle that they have, that they just blare throughout the stadium. You could tell it was definitely messing with uh, Petrus and Brian, and I swear whoever was in charge of the volume of that thing just like kept cranking it up. I don't want to say it feels like it should be against the rules, but that thing is so loud, so loud. And it's like, are the fans this loud? Because you're kind of sitting in a section which wasn't predominantly Iowa fans, but enough Iowa fans, so you couldn't get a sense of how loud the whole stadium was. But 
Iowa did what they needed to do in in some respects. I, I just I'm trying to to figure out where to to take this conversation because um you know the elements weren't as bad as I thought, but I you could tell they were really bad on the field with the way that uh, um you could hear the referee whenever he was saying something you know you got the feedback from the wind um there were some it's hard to tell with with the Iowa football because you know we already see plenty of sideways throws with Spencer Petras so it's like is this him missing that or is this the wind affecting it but I think what you could really tell from a wind perspective was Purdue with the winds that was when O'Connell threw his two interceptions and I think both of them floated on him um, they didn't drop as quickly as he thought they would. Uh, Ty was benefit. And then the other thing that was really kind of mind-blowing to watch was the punting. Because Tory Taylor had the, I think it was his second punt, and this is something that John Miller was kind of going through on his Twitter. But it was like a missile, and it caught the jet stream into the wind, and it's like it just hung up there and it looked like it was going to go that way at that height for 50 yards. Now, obviously, it, it died and it just scooted into the end zone. But to me, I think it was hilarious that it seemed like what Kirk Ferentz and LeVar Woods told Tillery Taylor every time he was out there, just kick it as hard as you can and we'll live with the results because every single time he had the wind, that sucker was basically going through the end zone and into the wind. He was... You know, kicking on between 30 and 45 yards, which seems like a, a huge win from from uh, that perspective. And then hearing his final punt, because it was right in front of me, the sound it made. My God. He, Keep your train whistle. We got Tory Taylor's leg of doom. Exactly. Exactly. So I think like from a... a Watching the game live perspective, that is what stuck out the most. And then from a play-to-play standpoint, like the Iowa defense, I don't think, I think some guys didn't play their best game, but because Iowa is so locked into a lot of this stuff, the reason like, I don't think Jack Campbell played very well and I haven't rewatched the game, but it seemed like he missed a lot of tackles. I think he was going for some pretty big hits, some pretty big losses, knowing that there are guys right behind him who are going to make the play. And like to me, I think that that just seeing them live validated a lot of biases I had just watching the, the games from a field. Not much was changed from, you know, oh, I thought this, but seeing it live, it's actually different. Um so I guess that's kind of my, my ultimate takeaway for, from that respect. And, and I think the defense, man, like th- this is what we've talked about in the past. It just sucks that it's on at best an eight win regular season team because that defense is for real. They have guys at every position um, and it, it feels like a, a waste for for however this season's going to play out from a macro perspective. But, you know, to the credit of the team, the kids are trying their hardest. They put together really good game plans. I feel like, you know, 
Iowa's cornerbacks might be better than they've ever been, which seems weird to say. Um, just and one of those them are is kind of playing out of ways. position, right? I mean, we're think about we still haven't seen Terry Roberts in how many weeks, and Cooper DeGene, I mean, quote unquote, is playing out of position. Um, how, how similar is cash to corner? We can debate that, I suppose. But to that end, I think Sebastian Castro had his best game um, in the cash p- position. And that just goes to tell you, I mean, how much learning is needed because he, his first start at that position, I can't remember which game it was. It might've been against Michigan. So that could have been why I think. Oh yeah. Um, he, it looked like he was not long for that role. And then, you know, maybe it's partially Purdue, uh, Purdue's doing, but the defense had as good as a game you could ask for. Um, I predicted a win here because we're going to be Purdue when it doesn't matter, which is why to that end, we're going to be Wisconsin when it doesn't matter this weekend too. (laughs) Um, you know, that's the cynic part of me, cynical part of me. Um, I missed the entire fourth quarter. I actually didn't even go back and watch it. I saw, well, um, it didn't really matter because the wind there wasn't much and the defense. No. Yeah. The wind and the defense did. They played Kirk Ferentz's favorite type of football, which is let the elements play, play the sport for you more or less. And what was it? Iowa had 30 yards in the second half after Caleb Johnson's 75 yard run. Yeah. Is that right? Like basically. Yeah. <laughs> that stinks. I don't care. I mean, sure, salt the game away while you're up three scores with 30 minutes to go. But um, to see them, you know, I'm happy for the team. Good win. Love to be Purdue. Unhappy for Purdue because I had them winning the Big Ten West in eight and a half games, I think, this year, or eight, and that neither of those things is going to happen, um, obviously. And shit, like what happened to the Brom brothers, right? They were, you know, people thought that they were going to bolt for Louisville after this season. And now I don't think Louisville wants them. Yeah. I mean, I think from, from a Purdue perspective, like to me, they've been, um, I think, I, I think, Kind of what you're saying is what I think. I think Purdue has maybe been the most disappointing team in the West. If only because I think that with Aiden O'Connell, there there was a path for him to be I like think we a over, guy. I think we overrated Aiden O'Connell. We just bit. it started there. So so I think I think that that's fair. That it and then like what? How do you think his numbers would look this year without Charlie Jones? How would Purdue look this year without Charlie Jones? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean that—that's a good question. Like, I think we we put too much faith as like quote unquote objective people, and I think our bias of Purdue and how they play Iowa factored into us thinking that oh maybe they're the dark horse in the West, which makes them kind of the favorite in the West. Naturally, Brett Bielema, the the actual dark horse has flubbed that but I think what it comes down to with Purdue especially in the context of how they've played Iowa in the past is 
historically, and I think especially this year, Purdue has played well enough on the margins to match Iowa. Um, you know, I think last year, right, they, last year and the year before, they forced turnovers. I think it probably same can be said in, in 2018 and 2017. But they were really not good on the margins, and they haven't been on the margins all season. They've sucked at tackling. They've been constantly out of position on defense. Silly penalties. Um, and, and that's something I want to talk about from the Iowa perspective because I think Iowa made a concerted effort with Jones to say, hey, we are not getting beat over the top by him for a touchdown. And Iowa held him or interfered with him two or three times and was like, okay, move him ahead. Just don't let him in, this, yeah. in the end zone. Um, mm-hmm. But Purdue... I think part of it is they lean too much on their offense. So they're like, okay, any mistake the defense makes, our offense can get it back. And then for the first time in a while, a Purdue quarterback played a worse game than an Iowa quarterback. And in some ways that was the difference. First time ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've monopolized a little bit of the of the podcast so far. Been like, am I? What 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 were your Purdue takes? I guess my biggest takeaway was the not only the best offensive line performance out of Iowa, a la the two hundred yard rushing game from Caleb Johnson. Um, it was also, I mean, it was the first time I was looked like Iowa. And what? I don't know how long. Just from doing everything they wanted to do against a defense for 33 minutes of game time and then sitting (laughs) on the ball, which is, again, you know, it's normal. Um, And other takeaways, I guess, were like Aiden O'Connell isn't that good. Like, or the wind had as big of a factor as that. And they weren't going to let Charlie Jones, or they were going to give Charlie Jones at all you know, those 15 yard penalties, um, you know, might, might've been a different game in the NFL, but it's not. So it is what it is. Um, just more than anything, it's like Caleb Johnson obviously ascended to the number one role. Um, he's, he's going to be great. I think he's going to end up becoming what we thought Tyler Goodson was going to be. I think, you know, Caleb Johnson right now is showing, I mean, his freshman season is, I think I'd have to, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but you know, Goodson broke through in that crowded running back room. And this was even more crowded in some ways. He, I mean, he saw another true freshman jazz Patterson or Peterson. I can't remember what it is. Also get carries. And I can't remember when was the last time two, two freshman running backs um, got carries at, a, at important times in a game. I don't know. Um, I think this is only the second time, second game in a row where we've had the same offensive line start um, in consecutive games, and that's obviously another important thing. Um, you know, Sam Laporta is going to be playing on Sundays. I think Luke Lachey will be as well. Uh, Deontay Vines, I'm, I've got some prospect for. Um, I listened to Kelton Copeland's uh, media availability today and yeah, nothing but good things to say uh, about him, but it's like also, 
you know, talking about how Iowa has a tough time getting receivers to play for our, for Iowa. It's like, have you ever watched the Iowa offense? And then, I mean, finally it's like post game two week. Spencer Petras is a product of Kirk when kind of just shit talking. I don't know. I don't want to say just shit talking period. Not, I guess not to the media or anybody in general. Maybe let's just say shit talking to Twitter in general saying, you know, we just beat two good football teams. It's like good is in, is in parentheses. Cause those two, co- those teams just combined for, uh, they have a combined losing record and it's like, congrats. You beat Purdue, which is something you've never done. Has Petrus beaten Purdue? No. Yeah. So great. Awesome. Congrats. You have five touchdowns and five interceptions on the year. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like, the the takeaways you have through the lens of, like, the season at large, clearly moving Colby to left guard has made a difference. And I think, you know, it, it just highlights the fact of how much Iowa bungled the offensive line this year. And when I say this year, I mean since the end of last year like it it shouldn't have been a surprise to have to replace Tyler Linderbaum Cody Ince was injured and retired before spring ball started and Iowa didn't chase the portal at all now since in, in the time since then Britt also went down it's like there's a third guy but in some ways Britt's been injured his whole career so it's you can't expect too much from him. Um, so you have like two and a half guys that you can't count on anymore that you may have been ca- counting on. Although I don't know who in their right mind is counting on a, a first round center to come back and play a f- fifth season. Um, so it really just shows like the roster management was just so bad in the off season that Iowa decided to let it ride. Because theoretically, what they should have done is they should have gone out there and got a tackle, got a guard from the <clears throat> portal, let them compete with the guys Iowa had, and then still put the best five that, that they have, which is probably these four plus a different guy instead of Jack Plum. Because the the way I, I've kind of... The reasoning I always had for Colby being right tackle was he was the best returning offensive lineman and he was just wasn't cut out for it and I think he was put in a, an unfair position for probably what four four games too long like I think that should have been something that they knew okay he's got to be inside um coming out of the non-conference schedule um so they allowed that to to go on now how many would that have resulted in another win or two probably not because I think to beat Michigan Iowa would have needed better play from everyone um but it still just comes down to like they they just sat on their hands with with this offense and kind of took what existed and you know whether they learn a lesson from it or not I guess we'll see but 
I, I, there are so many guys leaving the defense that have been around forever that it seems like it's going to be hard to replace all of them. So it's just like wasting this elite defense to, you know, let the family business run on offense just sucks. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where to, to bring it to kind of your last point with Petrus and, and the, the stuff he, he raised on Saturday. It's just weird because like, was there reason not to leave Iowa for dead? You know, like they've been bad against good teams and it seems silly to be like, okay, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ride or die with these guys who haven't put up 20 points in against a Big Ten team since Minnesota and then before that, Maryland. So it's like, Sure, talk your junk. Good for you. You got us. But uh, Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, their defenses are more in line with the ones that Iowa struggled with than the ones that Iowa just found success against. So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I, I do want to circle back to Kelton Copeland's time with the media because I think that was the more illuminating uh, guy who spoke this week. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I kind of just half listened to it. I haven't read any of the follow-up articles. I know. I just saw Steppy. Um, sorry. I'm getting pinned at work. Uh, I know I saw Steppy. <laughs> Steppy's article just got posted as I was scrolling Twitter when you were talking. I mean, the... I guess the overall receiving thing is maybe in 2018 and 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, but like we were scared he was going to leave and go become an offensive coordinator for a Mac school because of what, because of what he was doing with Amir Smith, Marset and Brandon Smith. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I think Tyrone Tracy. Yes. Like you look at that 2019 team and it's wild how, constructed around the receivers it was like Smith went down and Tracy was great Tracy hasn't you know Regani was pretty good he had drops but like he was a freshman so like you kind of ignore those and then Smith Marset was really coming into his own like as a and they were all like all those guys were impossible to like Brandon Smith was in bumfuck Missouri or Mississippi excuse me yeah right and nobody had heard of him. Um, Reggiani, which is that how we're pronouncing it now? He went. He was at. A, he was a East Coast two star prep school, right? Post high school situation. Um, Tracy Indianapolis. I think he was the highest rated recruit out of all of them, right? Yes. And then because I think he was Gatorade Player of the Year for in the state of Indiana. And then I can't, I don't recall Amir Smith Marset's story. I, th- I think he just had like Mac offers out of New Jersey. Yeah, maybe Minnesota too. I think he was someone Minnesota technically he committed to. And then he came to Iowa a week later. I think he just wanted to get out of PJ Flex's office. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. But I mean, but, you're exactly right. So yeah, Cal- he, was, he was, was talking about, was really good. Yeah, so he was talking about, you know, today. I think Wick was playing. He said Wick was playing out of position. And then somebody asked, like, 
what he sort of meant by that. He made it sound like Wick wasn't going to be a wide receiver. Um, did you listen to it? Oh, I missed that part. No. Yeah. So, cause I, I was, I, I'd have to go back and listen to it, but I thought he was going to say, you know, Wick was playing out of position. I thought I was going to say we, cause he's playing at the X and he should have been at the Y or whatever, but he made it the, I think a, a reporter followed up and asked him to elaborate and he didn't really answer. And I think he was going to be, I don't know what, probably a defensive back, probably wanted to play safety or something. Um, so it sounds like, you know, they had to move things around. I mean, the only excuse I want to make for this Iowa team is like for our first few games, like we saw how with the way Arvin Bruce was used and Laporta was like how, how dire the pass catching situation was across the board, but also like the same time too, I feel like they could have been more creative with Lachey. Um, so like, who do you have is out? Keegan Johnson, he's out for good. Let's just, I mean, I don't think he'll ever play in an Iowa uniform again. And then Brecht, he was out, but like how big of a difference would he have made? And then Deontay Vines, I think would have made some, a bit of a difference. Even if it wasn't just, even if it's not pass catching, I think his blocking ability. That's another thing that stood out to me. Um, too against Purdue was just how important he was on the field uh, running, not just running routes and catching balls, but also blocking for Caleb Johnson and on tight end screens to Laporta too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely I mean, yeah. think that the one, because the offensive line stuff was definitely an issue but the the one that I truly don't think Iowa could work around was the wide receiver things like I, I've said here I, I've said it countless times Iowa really only needs three or four wide receivers and to your point the fact that it sounds like Wick was playing wide receiver when he probably was thinking he was going to be the next walk-on defensive back um to get a to get a chance uh that's interesting. And then when no one beyond him emerged amongst like Jack Johnson or Caleb Wetgen, it just felt like, man, this is an especially rough situation. Um, because uh, they just couldn't do anything. And then I think what, what did what's helped with wide receiver depth as much as anything, right. Is like now you have Laporta back to being a tight end, but Oh, if you want to, you can go ahead and throw him out wide a couple of plays and create that mismatch instead of kind of having to create a game plan around that. It's much easier to be like, okay, here's a one-off play. Let's go run a slant to the two guys that we trust the most. Um, between Petrus and 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 Laporta, and I think that was like a game-changing play to put Laporta out wide and and convert a third down just before I think he had the touchdown um, on Saturday. So like, I, I think that what I, I think it might be fair, and maybe this is what you're saying. Maybe I'm connecting too many dots, but are you saying like the the wide receivers was an even bigger issue than the offensive line kind of in that first four to five games. Mm, no, I'm not because I think if we had a much more competent offensive line, the running game would have been able to open up, you know, make the receivers job a little bit easier, but maybe at the same time too, if 
we would have had one more scholarship receiver available. Maybe they would have made the offensive line's job easier. You know, it's just sort of a perfect storm of um, crap of of sewage. But at the end of the day, there's people who are making a combined tens of millions of dollars to see that happening and fix it because those having a bad offensive line and having a hurt wide receiver room are not new things to the sport of football. Um, no, absolutely not. And they're not new things to Iowa either. I look back at 2012, 2014. Um, it's just not, it just makes, you know, the prospect of winning five games in a row. Look at the competition, I suppose. But, um, you know, I, 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 I kind of wanted to avoid this, but it's like, look at what Northwestern did to Ohio State. I, I don't want to say that because uh, it was really windy in Chicago. The weather was really bad. But, like, if Iowa would have played Ohio State in those conditions, I don't think they would have replicated what Northwestern – they wouldn't have mucked it up the way Northwestern did. I still think it would have been a similar outcome between Iowa and Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I think Northwestern had kind of everything going their direction. Like, I, because uh, I'm trying to, what did Ohio State come off of playing Penn State, or am I getting their their games yeah. mixed Ohio around? Ohio State lost to Penn. Ohio State beat Penn State two weeks ago. Yeah, so like, I think from from Ohio State's perspective, like that's just a classic like game after the game when Penn State had already tested them to say nothing of. Than having to go to a sleepy Ryan Ryan Field at 11 a.m. I mean, those are tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if if you took those constraints and just put them in Kinnick Stadium, I do think that that Iowa would po- would pose a similar challenge. Um, I mean, I think to me the game that Iowa really has to be kicking themselves about because of how the first month of the season went is Michigan. And that's the only reason where I'm like, you know, if Iowa gets back to the Big Ten Championship, I'm gonna I'm not gonna write them off because I do think there's a, a an Iowa team that wins five straight games is a much different Iowa team than the one that Michigan faced because they have their number one uh Running back sorted. They have an offensive line where they like it to be. They have enough wide receivers who can do enough things. And then it's just, hey, can Petrus not not make a mistake? But I do think it's laughable to get that far ahead of myself because of the fact that Iowa still hasn't beaten. And this is kind of the way that I think Leistikow framed it on Twitter. Iowa hasn't beaten uh, Wisconsin in Kinnick Stadium with fans in the stadium since 2008. And that's a steep hill to climb, even though Wisconsin and their offense has been just... I mean, we joke and complain about Spencer Petras, but like Graham Mertz, our favorite quarterback to, to make jokes about, is just... He's horrible. Like, he was playing in a similar wind as Petrus was, and he was, what, 5 of 13 for 77 yards? Something crazy like so that. Bad. It's like, 
like Saturday, I don't know if we want to get into preview of Wisconsin now, but it's like Saturday is going to be bad. It's going to be, I think, as bad as 9-6 Illinois-Iowa game. Like Graham Mertz against this defense and Spencer Petras against, you know, I don't, I know as little about the Wisconsin team this year as I do any, as I ever have because they're just irrelevant. Um, and Mertz is bad, and they fired their coach. So it's like this game, I went on the Bucky's Fifth Quarter podcast yesterday, and I haven't listened to it. Um, but I can't – I they would I, you, you would have think I was a Wisconsin fan in <laughs> Iowa's clothing about just how, how down I was on, this, on these teams and this game and how – Honestly, like I'm going, I was going to win and I'm not going to be happy about it because like I said, it's going to be a meaningless game. They're going to beat Wisconsin and it doesn't matter. Just like in 2020, that one didn't matter. I mean, last time they beat Wisconsin in a meaningful game was the last time they beat Wisconsin before 2020, which was 2015. So it's like, I just have such a tough time. Um, getting up for this game, two thirty. I want it over at nine a.m. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's like they keep that that Iowa Illinois game had no business being at at uh the na- the the late game. Uh, this one, Iowa Wisconsin. It's like the Iowa Northwestern thing that Fitz said that week, where that game should start at six a.m. This one should, to your point. Start right alongside that. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing that I come back to from Wisconsin is, like, it's so easy to speak in generalities about them because they still have the same defense in many respects. They're still going to do what they can to confuse Iowa's offensive line. And I think that that's maybe the most concerning thing that, like, Northwestern and and Purdue really didn't do that much and they aren't that good at it. So like, I just think that there's so much baggage in the trenches with Iowa's offense against Wisconsin that like, it's hard for me to be optimistic that the Hawkeyes are going to move the ball, but maybe Caleb Johnson can do enough things that that's kind of what carries the offense. And it doesn't need to be necessarily great because it might be a game where 13 points wins it, Ben. Like, that's the thing is I do trust Iowa's defense to be just so good that maybe they're the reason that Iowa scores 13 points. Like, it's a it's a defensive touchdown and two 45-yard field goals from Drew Stevens. Like... But I guess what maybe the reason you would be angry is that would it be just because the game doesn't matter or would it be that, oh, this offensive progress that we saw in two weeks, it's like, okay, it was fool's gold and um, the progress that they made was opponent adjusted. No, it's purely going to be this game was meaningless. This game wasn't for a Big Ten championship or Big Ten West berth. This game wasn't to reach 10 wins or even nine wins in the regular season. This game is pointless. This game is to help Iowa reach its high watermark of seven to eight wins or regular watermark. I I don't know what's the word for 
regular watermark. I don't know. It's going to it's going to let us reach the cliche that Iowa fans are content with eight wins a season. And it's going to, you know, if Iowa does win out the rest of the games, it's like we talked about before, it's going to vindicate Kirk and his brand of football um, and hope people forget that it's lost to Iowa State for the first time in six years, lost to Michigan and Ohio State by a combined 7,000 points and scored three points against South Dakota State. Counterpoint. Illinois and Purdue play at 11 o'clock before the Iowa-Wisconsin game. What if Purdue wins, which makes the game matter because Illinois has got to go to Ann Arbor next week? I don't want to play Ohio State or Michigan again. We already did that. We already we already did that. Do you, what makes you think, even with all the progress – quote-unquote progress Iowa has had since playing those two teams. What makes you think it can hang with them again? You're right. Michigan has Biff on their side. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I think it's just so tough because, like you said, the, the, the other counterpoint I have is what's happened in the last two games is justification enough for Iowa not to do anything. That would be my other counterpoint is like Brian's done enough against these patsies that we can chalk up. Oh, we can chalk it up to they played great defenses every single game of the year. And they beat Nebraska, get to a bowl, get those 15 extra practices. Because that's, I think, the thing that I think about the most in terms of like program building is just how important getting to bull eligibility is because it's like a second spring practice session that you get with 15 practices ahead of a bull game. And to me, like all the issues that I always had this year can be mitigated a little bit next, next year by having, you know, the five offensive linemen, a four plus presumably Proctor, you can, you know, firmly create a wide receiver rotation. Like without, yeah, without looking at the schedule, I mean, you can talk in, talk yourself into anything, right? I mean, other, the only thing, I actually take that back. Look, without looking at the schedule and assuming we have a new quarterback next year, you can talk yourself into anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is why I think that, you know, I mean, the the shame of it is like, and I think this is just ha- the eternal optimist portion of my Iowa fandom is like, even with Spencer Petrus. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just <laughs> not. I mean, Devine improves. You keep Caleb Johnson. Maybe somehow you keep Keegan Johnson, find defense is going to be the defense, plug in, maybe hit a home run in the portal. Another thing I wanted to bring back, though, is, and I hate comparing, but I was doing this while you were talking. It's like, you know which team signed absolutely zero guys in the portal this offseason besides Iowa? 
Oh boy. Um, was it like Ohio State? Something crazy like Georgia. That? Georgia took absolutely zero guys in the portal. Their quarterback was a guy who wasn't recruited. People want people didn't want him to start this year after winning the national championship game last year. His two biggest passing targets are tight ends. His number one wide receiver is out for the season. Number one wide receiver now is a guy named Ladd McConkie, white guy Incredible. from the middle of nowhere of Tennessee who wanted to play for Tennessee but didn't get offered. Like, <laughs> shit, if that doesn't sound like an Iowa offensive game plan, then I don't know what does. Oh, my God, Ben. Just it, it It's exactly what Farron aspires to be. Because I, I, I do think, right, like that's the the SEC team, and, and they play different defensively, and they're faster at every single position than than Iowa, except for maybe quarterback, cornerback. I think I, I think I would take Riley Moss in a hundred yard dash over the Georgia cornerbacks, but sure, it's the it's the the case for. No change. Like that's what that's ultimately where we're at is hey, Georgia can do it. Iowa can do it. And and they I do think that that's one of the teams they've gone and visited in the offseason, if I'm not mistaken. And they're who they've kind of revamped their defensive line in the the name of like I think they went down there and they were like, We rotate eight to ten guys because we need them for fifteen games now. Iowa hasn't needed them for 15 games, but um, you know what I mean. It's felt like it, yeah. What if, what if 2023 turns into the season we thought 2022 could be? Actually, neither of us were that optimistic about this. Season. Yeah, no, 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 no. We were not. With it's tough to have Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule and be optimistic. Uh this is this just I, I feel I just I'm giving myself whiplash with how I've written about Kirk Ferentz this year. Luckily, because I I've, I've been wearing two seatbelts, so I feel <laughs> I'm just fine. Just because it's like you get why he does it. I it doesn't mean I like it any less or dislike it any less. But it's like ugh just modernize the offense a little bit. Because I guess here, here's something funny from the game. My dad was just standing there. He's like, man, how long has it been since Iowa could just like, you know, uh, what was the what was the word he used? It's like, no, no stress, maybe. Just you know, like last week. But <laughs> beyond that, I think he was talking about like play Purdue with no stress. And it's just so funny that that is Iowa football is like, how can we get our fans to a place where this game has as little stress in the, the third and fourth quarter as possible? And that's that's what success hinges on in some ways because it's like it'd be really it would have been really nice to see Iowa put up a forty piece against Purdue. And it was there. It was there. They had twenty nine yeah, minutes. Door was open. There. Could have done against Minnesota last year too, but chose to give Minnesota an opportunity to win the game instead. Yeah, it's just oh my god, 
he just likes to let the defense wear out the opponent offense. At least he's at least he's changed his like number from two touchdowns to three touchdowns. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like he used to be like, okay, it's a ten point game. Let's pack it in. And then it was okay, it's a fourteen point game, let's pack it in. Now it's it's a twenty one point game, let's pack it in. Although there's a case to be made that they they had packed it in. Yeah, I think they kinda did. Ah, well Ben, any any final thoughts? How was your uh Halloween? Did you pass out any candy? Uh I'm sweet enough already, no. I just I wanna know. Well, are you predicting an Iowa win this weekend? I think they lose. That's just Okay. But I haven't I haven't predicted written in on the predictions either the last two weeks, so maybe I don't predict and Iowa wins again. Maybe, maybe that's how this goes. Okay. Let's see. Can we get a quick basketball minute? Oh yes. Basketball minute. Were you able to watch any of the game, Ben? Um yeah, I just found out I got ESPNU, so I saw the entire first uh, first half. Or, okay. Yeah, but just about the entire first half. So I think I was – I'm trying to remember if I said this take, but I think this is officially like – I think Tony Perkins is probably the best player on this team. I think I said that. Oh, yeah, that. he looked unreal. Like I, I just think the, the guy plays at 100%, 100% of the time, and – the way the team kind of seems to be following his lead, like he seems like the alpha dog and the fact that he has that in him and he's playing defense. I'm, I don't know if cautiously or guardedly is the right frame, but I kind of think this defense could be pretty good, at least in like the top 60. Um, and then, you know, the offense is going to be good, but, um, I like them a lot. It's just so it's just so different to watch Iowa basketball versus Iowa football, where they just come out up and down. Peyton Sanford's just draining threes. It, it was it was a fun time. What I did see Rabracha get beat a little bit by taller guys is that going to be a problem? I'm going to ask you this every week. It isn't going to be a problem except for when it is a problem. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I didn't see I mean, much yeah, of... I, I... Oh, whatever. I was going to say, I didn't see much of Bowen. Did he get a lot of time? Um, I think he got like 16 to 18 minutes. He was... Okay. You see you see what he can do. Uh, it was it was definitely a step up for him from the the exhibition. That much I'll say. Cool. Go Hawks. Fun team. Go Hawks. All right. So that that's it, Ben. I, I think we, we can wrap this sucker up. Good, good talking to you as always. Uh, as always, uh, better dead than red. Better dead than red. <laughs>